trying to just uh, talk about a few of these things that uh, keep us strong and keep the river flowing, the, the river banks. And uh, I, I was going to try and do some of the, a little more of, on some of them, but I'm, I'm just looking at this and thinking, now, well, I've given you something. I hope you will uh, go home and study for yourselves a little more of some of the scriptures, etc., that are relevant. And I'll just finish this, this little off with the headings and, uh, <clears throat> and then move on to something else. So we were talking about investing our finances, our time, treasures, uh, tra trophies, and our tragedies to fulfill the Great Commission. The next little one I'd give to you, and I think in my notes it's number 27, but be God-hearted. Uh, have a heart after God, first of all, where you hunger for him, and ask God to help you to have a heart like his own heart, a, a, a generous heart. I don't know, what, you know, I talk to so many guys in leadership over on a reasonably regular basis that I don't know what I've said here and what I said last week to someone else. So just bear with me if I, I um, sometimes repeat, if you've, if you've heard it. But I think that sometimes grace is rooted in generosity, the, the grace of God. Because um, if you ha don't have a generous heart, you can act gracious but not be gracious. Very good. <clears throat> It's, 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 for some people, it's very easy to act graciously, but they're not gracious. And so a God heart is a generous heart. It's, it's a heart that's learned that, that the truth, that it really is more blessed to give than to receive. Um, we've got to always be willing to receive because sometimes God, I remember an occasion when I was up in Malawi but I was right out in, the, in what the Aussies would call the bush, but we'd say in South Africa, the bundu, right in, not, not near the, any town or city, but there was this church out in the hills, right out there. And there was this, this old pastor, he's just, this, just one of the most, he's just a godly, godly, godly man. And I think it was, if I, I know that was Swaziland that I was going to move to, but I, but I remember this guy, I preached in his church, he had this, would, would, would have been, half the size of this auditorium that we're in now, but it was all tin, and it was, this heat was absolutely oppressive. No insulation, etc. And, and one of the things about Africa that I love is that they have no concept of we're supposed to finish in an hour or two hours. It's uh, just the meeting, just, it, it can be an all-day occasion. And I was absolutely finished, beyond finished. I don't, know, I don't even know how I was on my, still on my feet after preaching and preaching. And as you try to finish, they want you to go again. So being the stupid person I am, I just get up and go again sort of stuff, you know. And anyway, I think now we've finished. And this pastor's allowing it to, the meeting to now actually be closed. So I'm, I'm thinking, praise God, at last I can get out of here. Start walking out. And as I walk out the door... They've got this long line, both sides. They all, everyone in the church has formed this long line. And I've got to now walk down and say goodbye to everyone, shake, and I'm just like finished. I come right at the end, just at the end of my tether. And the pastor's at the end. He's an old man. And he puts out his hand. And, I, and now, look, I'm, all I'm being exposed to is just poverty. And I live in Bryanston. 
which was prosperity at the time. And I put out my hand to say goodbye to him, and I was going to just give him a nice hug. But when I put my hand out, I felt something in my hand. I looked down, it was two dollars, two rand. That's that mosquito. <clears throat> and my immediate re response is, hey man, I don't need this. You do. So I was going to give it back to him. And in my heart, I've just felt God say, take it. Take it from him. We've got to be willing to receive. And we've got to be willing to learn to know that sometimes even when it shouldn't be happening, for their sakes, it needs to. That man gave me the equivalent of any of you giving me about $1,000 US or more. And I've never forgotten that to this day. That was generosity. You see, it doesn't have to do with how much you have. It's what you, got, just what you do with what you've got. And Jesus showed that when he says, you see all these guys going to the temple? Or looking around saying, I hope you're watching. He says, you see that little woman there? All she's dropping is one farthing. Just whatever a farthing is today. Just the least amount of cash you can have. And he says she's given more than all those other guys that were pouring all the bucketfuls in. Generous heart. We don't have to wait and say, well, our church will become generous when we can afford it. You cannot afford not to be generous even if you've got virtually nothing. Hope you get it. Keeping the banks, these banks, part of entitlement, the problem of entitlement I was talking about yesterday is we feel like, well, we, we deserve stuff. And therefore, slowly but surely, it erodes the riverbank until we, we've lost our generous heart. I'm feeling rebuked standing here this morning because last night God told me to bring $200 to give it to some guy. Not one of you, so, but someone here. And I forgot. It's just, hey, what's God saying? Now, I don't think the guy needs it, but I don't know. There's some, I, I really felt strongly God said, bring $200 and give it to the guy. Now, please, but this has just crossed my mind. Please don't come and give me $200 and say, hey, go and give it to the guy. That wouldn't be me giving it to the guy. I'll make it up somewhere. But we, that's what, I'm forever asking God, where can I help? I can't do all this physical stuff. What can I do, God? And I st still don't have the heart that God wants enough yet. There's always room for more. And the more you give, the more God give, gives back. But I never want to give with that motive. <clears throat> All right. Be God-hearted, generous, gracious, global, going, God-glorifying, God-hearted, and grateful. Next one. Actively. I'll emphasize that word again. Actively seek the gifts of the Spirit of God. 
to be involved in being used by them. I think all of us here would be lumped into a, a pigeonhole that I'm not part of, but called charismatic. And the charismatic movement is supposed to be gifts. And I, don't, I operate in the gifts. I just don't want to be pigeonholed with in any charismatic, Pentecostal, conservative, evangelical, fundamentalist. I'm just a Bible Christian, follower of Christ. But we would all be lumped into that charism. That means that we believe in the, the grace gifts of God and we hardly ever hear them or see them operating. And yet there was a time when we were all excited about them. See the banks of the river. I'm, I'm encouraging you to, for yourself and to encourage your church people to actively come available again to God. God, that the gifts of the Spirit will operate. And they don't have to all be from the platform. Words of wisdom and words of knowledge can come from while I'm preaching, if this was my church, he could get up because God says to him, go and tell that guy, give him this. Give him this word. Whatever it may be. Actively go after God again. That the, because those gifts are the gifts of the Spirit of God. See, these are the Holy Spirit when he's active, when he's present, these things happen. It says this, the phanerosis, the, 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 the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit therewithal. And that word, panerosis or phanerosis, however you want to say it, that word means, and one of the strongest possible parts of what that means is the proof that God is here. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit. That's every single one of us. And that's not talking about gender. That it's just men. Go after God again. God, I'm open myself to start operating in those gifts. And you say, well, Dudley, occasionally I speak in tongues. I'm saying go beyond that. <clears throat> I speak in tongues to my knowledge every day of my life. Privately. But there's, there's more than just that. And what about the, in, the, in the body of Christ so there can be an interpretation? All these things. All right. Deal with the next one is deal with the weak areas that you know of in your life. If I want, don't, don't do this, but if I were to ask you, have you got any weak areas in your life? I think every one of us would have to say, if we're honest, yeah, we, I have to put my hand up. Don't I've got weak areas in my life. There's some areas that I'm stronger in and other areas I'm weak in. Deal with the weak areas. Prayerfully, trusting the Holy Spirit. We're talking about the river. See, God doesn't, I, everything I'm saying here, this doesn't you go out there and try. It's you go out there and cooperate with God. Expect God. It's the Holy Spirit, the river flowing through you. Without God, don't even, don't even give it a go. One last long. Deal with the weak areas in your life with God's help. Become a true disciple and follower of Jesus Christ. 
So get yourself equipped. You know, one of the, I, I don't know why we've got this narrow, most guys have got such a narrow theology on the Holy Spirit. So narrow. They've forgotten, first of all, he really is a person, not just power. But you know that the Holy Spirit, he's the equipper, the enlister, the enricher, the enabler, the empowerer, the emancipator. He's all of this. And I've got my notes here saying, I want to get there, and I know I'm not going to. But he's all of this. And go and have a look at his names again, what they mean. What the Scriptures calls him. Enlarge your theology so that God can enlarge your experience of the Holy Spirit. He's the one that enlists people. He's the one. Instead of me trying to urge everybody to, to do something, it's the Holy Spirit. Who's, he enlists. It's your, now's your time to become a leader. He enriches our lives. He empowers our lives. He brings about emancipation. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. He's the encourager. He's the convictor and the convincer of sin and of righteousness and judgment to come, etc., etc. I don't have to battle to get you saved if you're sitting there unsaved. It's the Holy Spirit. He convicts. He convinces. All I do is do my best in sharing the truth of the Word of God in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. You know this, but the banks erode. Next one is grow up. Mature. And that's a whole message, but I'll just say this. The, to me, the first step to maturity is to take responsibility. You'll never grow up until you, while you keep blaming others or leaving it to others. You'll always be a baby. Grow up. Take responsibility. God, it's my fault. I blame dad, I blame mum, I blame my upbringing, I blame my poverty, I blame my lack of education, I blame this guy, I blame the pastors in the churches, I blame the people in the city, I blame, I blame. God says, whoa, wait a minute, when will you just, when are we, we can never start this until you say, God, I take responsibility. And then, when you take responsibility for your own life, you take, start taking responsibility for what's around. You look at, just let me take church life, because we're church leaders, but I'm talking about every area of life. But you look at the church, you don't say, I'm the pastor, and that piece of paper, where we've got some guy who'll pick it up. You walk past, you say, hey, that piece of paper needs to be picked up. Where's the trash can? You walk into the toilet, and the toilet hasn't been flushed. Some guy just didn't bother. You don't say, well, I'll leave it. I don't want to, my hands, you know, the coronavirus now. Just take a piece of toilet paper if you don't want to touch the toilet. Press the button. Take responsibility for what's around you, where God placed you. 
Take responsibility. Take responsibility for your community. Take responsibility for your city. God, I want for our church, and I want to be a vital part of that, for our church to do something in the city, to be known here for Christ's sake. And take full responsibility for others around the world. Even in your prayer life, you know, there's such power. We say we believe in the power of prayer. But if we really believed in the power of prayer, we would be praying more for more things. But pray for situations that you know of. I asked a guy who came and talked to me. I just said to him, you know, I, I want to, you guys come in here, and this could be my last time, and I don't know what I'm going to do after this because I am just full of what I want. It's just, it's just uh, God hasn't like, switched off the tap and said, all right, this is the last time. I don't know that there ever will be another one. But I just said to this guy, why don't you just pray that God will help me to get to some countries. It's so expensive for you guys to come in here. After two days, on the third day, you're just about punch drunk. Because there's so much we're trying to share. And I know that God has told me that the impartation is more important than just that you get all of the stuff. I know that, but at the same time, there is an overload. Now, it would, I reckon two days would be better, but how can people afford two days to come here from another country? Sometimes it costs tens of thousands of rands or dollars to get here. It would be so easy if I could just get in a plane and go there. If, if, if guys would just pray, God, won't you touch that man's body in a way that he can start traveling again? Now, look, you know that I know, and I hope you know that I know that, that I'm not indispensable. I do know this, though, that God has put something in me, and I've got some small little, just like you know in your city, you're not the best pastor or the only pastor, but God's given you a little something that you have a contribution to make. I know I've got that too. That's all. We're not talking about importance. You with me? You know, I wish people could get this into their heads. I did not actually, I'm not the founder of New Covenant Ministries. There were a group of guys, some not on team, and even women that were involved in that, how that came about. And everyone's saying, well, Dudley, you know, Dudley. And I've stopped even trying to stop it. Just, man, none of us is that important. This is a God thing. The day you feel you're so important, the world can't do without you and God can't do without you, you're in trouble, man. But to also, just as equal amount of trouble, if you say, well, I've got a contribution to make, but it's so small, I'm not going to make it, you're also in trouble. Do what you do. And do what you do, do well, sport, do what. Grow up. Take responsibility. Mature. And the last one I'm going to touch before I move off this now is break camp. The same old, same old. Some of you have heard me saying this, and I don't know where this came from originally. I remember in Bible College in Cape Town, somebody said it the first time I heard it, as best as I can remember. Sameness produces Lameness, help me, Darren, you, I've heard you quote it recently. Sameness, lameness, 
Shout it out. Tame. 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 No, this. I've just gone a complete blank. The sameness produces lameness, which produces tameness. Everything that's going on, just doing the same old, same old, same, just makes us lame and makes us tame till we lose our wildness. All right. Can I, I just see this on my note here. I can't say that the Spirit of God dropped it in my heart, but I see it there, so I'm going to just mention it. Not only when we're talking about break camp, the same old, doing the same old thing over and over and over, but even break out from the camp of self-promotion. Some people are camping in self-promotion. And break camp from divisive camps. If you're part of anything that's divisive, break camp. Okay. You're still all right there. Anyone want to throw a couple of stones quickly? Bricks? (laughs) Rocks? Whatever you want to. Okay. Let's get on with this now. Dare I touch this? I mean, you see this, when I look at this, I think, God, I'm beaten before I start. And that's not the feet. It's the hands and the feet. All right. A base church, developing a base church. I want to just give you seven ingredients or characteristics and then touch on some here and there. Because as I said yesterday, I think it was yesterday, that even with 20, 50 people in a church, you can become a base church. And I'm not talking about being base. Oh, that's base. I'm talking about that God can work into the nations through. The first ingredient or characteristic, I don't know the importance of the, which, the order I'm just giving you. And a base church reflects New Testament kingdom of God values and lifestyle. To be a base church, we're going to have to start reflecting New Testament kingdom of God values and lifestyle. Just wanting to see if there's nothing I need to say on that particular point. I've got something of what that means, and I won't preach on them. We are to model, if we're going to reflect, we're going to model worship, true worship. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. John 4, 24, I think it is. And when we talk about uh, reflecting New Testament values in worship, we're talking about freedom. Passion, enthusiasm, respect, sometimes militant, sometimes very gentle and loving. Reflecting New Testament kingdom values, kingdom of God values, is covenantal relationships, extended family, the family life of the Bible. Loving each other in a godly way, pure way. Faithfulness to each other in every, at every level. Caring for one another. Godly relationships and friendships. Caring for, one, for other people's families. I'm hoping that I'm in a church that if I died, 
that that church would look after my wife. I don't know that I am. I hope I am. I think I am. But I'm making the point for us. I don't want to be presumptuous. That's the only reason why I say I hope. But that's, that's what we should be. I remember when I was leading the team back in South Africa, and I'm getting now where I don't want to get into these stories, but I was leading the team, and one of the pastors got involved in something really bad, not just adultery, something beyond that. And his wife was an innocent, and he had these little kids. And I made sure, till I left South Africa, that that family was at school, clothed, and fed. I don't know what black culture is like in South Africa anymore, but one of the things that I really feel that we could learn so much from, by and large, around the world was that they believed in family. They believed, I mean, they looked after their old parents and they looked after, I mean, they, they had extended families. The church needs to learn something. You with me? I hope it's like that still in South Africa. I don't know. I haven't been there for 10 odd years. Is it? Good. When we're modeling this, I'll just quickly, we, we preach, we, if we're going to reflect New Testament kingdom of God values as a lifestyle, we truly, we preach true biblical preaching. The whole Bible. No compromise, no humanism, no hype, no unbiblical emphasis, no playing to the crowd. Bible. True. Fourthly, we also passionately pray biblically for the nations, revival, salvation, discipling church plants for our city, its officials, politicians, economy, etc., etc. For our country, for our churches. Just be wonderful if all of us were praying, God give. I pray this almost every day of my life if I don't pray it every day for fruitfulness effectiveness in every church even those I don't know about anywhere in the world not just that relate to us I want to see Christ's church grow I just say Lord Jesus you're building your church let us see that church that you're building make it fruitful, effective, productive and we pray for ourselves using scripture it also reflects in that number one point, this is the sixth little point, fifth little point, true apostolic prophetic Christianity. And to be apostolic is you're going, not just gathering. You're giving, not just getting. Number six, still under major heading number one, church planting and church planters. If we're going to reflect New Testament Christian kingdom of God lifestyle, then there's going to be churches being planted and there's going to be church planters being raised up. If you never get in your church, and I don't want this to be in any way hard, just maybe a mind shift in your heart. If you're not having anybody ever wanting to go and plant a church or go and help plant a church, we're less than we should be.
I have never pastored a church where there isn't a con even the smallest little one, before New Covenant Ministries, where guys just wanted to get out there and get, uh, see churches planted. It just needs to be a seismic shift here. Sometimes I'm telling you, if we began to teach and feel this from our hearts in the Spirit of God, the guys would be wanting to plant even in our own city, and we would be thrilled with it. They don't have to go to another country. Some churches have a 10-mile limit. You're not allowed to, if you're with us, you can't plant 10, unless you're 10 miles away. So, Jesus, how do you feel about that? Some man making some man-made rule to stop you doing what you want to do. And number seven, this is still under point one, sharing our faith. If you're living a New Testament kingdom of God lifestyle, we'll be sharing our faith in a gracious, sane way with our friends, family, and everyone else that we have a chance where God opens the door with our lips and with our lives. And then if we've, number eight on this point, all the faces of the church, all the expressions will be seen to some degree, all 42 that I've, I've got 42 that I know of. I only gave you, I think, about 10 or 11 the other day, but there's 42 that all of those faces will be reflected in New Testament kingdom of God life when we are based church. So that people with a heart for just, I want to get involved in helping the down and outs, the homeless, the street kids, people who are losing their jobs. There's, your church should be reflecting something that opens ways for that to happen. Whatever it may be. All right. So it reflects New Testament kingdom of God values and lifestyle. Number two, it exists for the sake of others. <laughs> That's a hard one, isn't it? Our church exists for the sake of others. Imagine everyone in your church feeling that. You know, if, if that could get into the hearts of people, most of our problems, nearly all of our problems would be solved overnight. Thirdly, it can sustain growth, maturity, and effectiveness even when the visionary is away for sustained periods of time. It sustains, can sustain growth, maturity, and effectiveness even when the visionary is away for sustained periods of time. That's why it's so important to be training leaders all the time and giving others opportunity to preach, etc. It's a voice for truth, number four. It's a voice for truth, not an echo of their culture. Does that need any explanation? It's a voice for truth. But you go into so many churches and it's just an echo of the culture out there. The problem is that Hollywood can do it better than we can. We try to do what Hollywood does. We can't do. We haven't got the money they've got. Sometimes even the mosh pit thing. Where did that come from? The church? Did the world, does the world do it because the church did or the church do it because the world did? 
I don't know if they call it a mosh pit anymore. You know, when everybody's standing in the front there and bouncing and diving around and jumping off platforms. And Did they get it from us? Or did we get it from them? All the props in our church meetings. Did they get it from us or did we get it from them? It's a voice for truth, not an echo of their culture. Number five, you've gone quiet. You, you're quiet anyway, but you've got, it's like people aren't breathing. What's going on here? <laughs> Take a deep breath. And, <sighs> <clears throat> Number five, it's consistently producing and commissioning new leaders and church planters. Consistently. Base church. Consistently producing and commissioning new leaders and church planters. I was so thrilled with how you guys responded yesterday to when we wanted to release this one elder today, or yesterday, the clapping. Why did you do that? Because it gladdens your heart. I want more of that, don't you? In every church. Number six, it plants new churches while building up and maturing the local church. It doesn't do one or the other. It does both. It plants new churches while building up and maturing the local church. And all of those are very important. But the seventh one is the make or break of it all. It's the place, a, a, a base church is a place where God alone gets all the glory. where God alone gets all the glory. We men and women step out of the way and say, it's only God. Yes, he uses us. We thank him for the privilege of being able to be used, but he gets the glory. Well, that's just going to skip and leave the rest. Because this is our last session together, and, then it's, uh, and we don't have that much time left here. So, let's talk a little bit about biblical leadership now and uh, things about it that I can just pick out here and there. We read, I think it was when we read uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1, where I don't know if that's the case or whether it's in this Numbers, thir uh, Numbers chapter 13, or is it number, Numbers chapter 9, I think, where Moses is saying, there are too many people, it's getting too hard for me. Too much is happening. Israel is growing, the people of God are numerically growing, etc., etc. When the church is maturing and growing up, we need to be somehow or the other able to appoint new leaders, more and more leaders, be they deacons. And incidentally, deacons are so vital. Deacon, deacon function is actually a spiritual function. It's after the meeting. Said the sound systems and it can, can include that, but generally deacons are looking oversighting that. They're spiritual people. 
And I reckon that any eldership that does not consult with its deacon team regularly is, is losing a whole lot of what God has for them. Very often the deacons know more about people in the church than the elders do. And the moment you give a guy a responsibility with the authority to see that, oversee that, he's a, he or she is a deacon. And somewhere we need to meet with them more regularly. But that's not what I'm here to say anyway, but I've said it. But as the church matures, grows up, numerically grows out, maturity grows up, numerically grows out, two inevitable things begin to happen. Number one is pressure increases. Some guys with a church of 60 people say in their hearts, I'd love to have a 1,000. And they're not coping with the, with the 70. The more, the more pressure. I very seldom met a person who says, all I want is 40 people. Don't want it to grow. You've got to be really badly wounded. All of us want and hope for bigger and better. But the, more, the bigger it gets, the more pressure comes. Paul calls it the pressure of, or concern for all the churches. The New American Standard Bible says that. The Amplified Bible says in Paul writing, he says, and beside those external things that I are without, there is the daily inescapable pressure of my care and anxiety for all the churches. That's in 2 Corinthians 11, 28. Pressure increases. Paul knew it. Paul felt it. The second thing that happens, the second, and we're going to come to what do we do about those, but let me give you the second one. The second in inevitable is that our sphere of influence either increases or decreases. It increases generally for good or for bad. For bad, when we do things the wrong way because of pressure, and then that starts to decrease. So, what do we do? What's God's solution and answer to increase pressure, increase responsibility, increase demands, increase concerns, increase blessing? Because it's all in there. There's blessing as it grows too. Opportunities that God provides us with giving God opportunities to show up in our midst. All of these are things. Coping with criticism. These are all some of the things that comes with growth. If you've got a church of 20 people, nobody knows you around by and large. Got a church of 10,000, basically everybody knows you around. Got more critics. Disappointments, pain, division, all these things. We get increased influence, increased effectiveness in our city, our church, our suburbs, our state, our country, our nations, business sector, influential leaders in the schools, etc., etc. We have all of this. So God's answer to increased pressure is simply spelt with four letters, team. T-E-A-M. 
you read Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through to 7, you see that when the pressure came, things began to, ministry got, had the potential to be neglected. There was division in the ranks. The Grecians and the Jewish ladies, they're fighting each other. But in their case, because of team, they chose men. They actually increased even more. Team. And as I've said, and I want to say if we were here for five days, I'd say it a few times per day. A growing up and out church, growing up in maturity and out in increased number numerically, a growing up and out church is the fishing pool for God to appoint more leaders. And as a result of that, to keep us growing up and growing out. And so if the present leaders don't genuinely embrace, if those three men that were, are the elders of the church until yesterday don't make room for the new one, it's just going to hinder what God wants to do into the future. You've got to make room. And this isn't the appy. So, you know, I've watched guys come on to the eldership. So you're the new elder. I've been around now for five years as an elder of this church. Welcome aboard, bro. Like strutting. What does that do? Just like, uh, it just makes me feel like I'm an apprentice compared to you. We've got to make, you hear what I'm saying? Embrace them. Treat them like equal. We don't have apprentice elders. They qualified. I wish I'm just skipping over stuff here. God's, that's moving from increased pressure in the local church. But God's solution, answer to increased influence. Pressure is team. Influence is church planting. As your influence increases, plant some churches in the city. And as your influence touches other parts of the nation, plant some churches in the nation. And as your church, the influence increases, were you touching other nations? Like we, from our church, touch Mongolia. Part of going, I've never been there, but if I were part of going there, I would be saying to Darren, oh, are we looking at planting more churches here? That's God's answer, solution, to increased influence. When you can no longer do that, why would God give you more influence? God isn't out to kill you. God says, my boy does, can't take any more. He's not learning what he should. I, he's reached it. We'll have to raise up some other guys too now. And that just stops our influence. You with me? hope this is making sense and none of you are feeling bad. If you're feeling bad, the devil is taking my words and twisting them to you. So please grasp these two truths. 
God's intention is for our sphere of influence to increase. That's his intention. And that is in our togetherness as well as the local church, translocally and the local church, and, and in our personal capacity. You four elders at the back there, if I was sitting with you, because I don't want to be pointing at people, but every one of you, God wants to increase your individual, personal. And now I'm saying that to them because they are the guys that I sit with under. I want that to, you to catch that, all of us. That's what he has for us. He wants to increase each one of us individually. And secondly, grasp is not only his intention that our sphere of influence grows, but he wants us to be victorious even when the pressure increases. He doesn't want us to blow our lives apart. And if you have somewhere along the line blown your life apart and you're now back, forget the past. So we need leaders, and possibly this is part of what do we look for when we're going to train up leaders. We look for people who step up, making themselves available. If I've got to come to you and say, man, um, we're having some leadership training, and I'm a pastor of the church, would you come? And you're saying, mm, man, you know, I'm pretty busy. I say, well, thanks, bro. But what do we do? Well, look, man. We'll fit in around you. We'll just, we'll, so Saturday's no good for you. What about Monday? Oh, well, you know, what about Tuesday? Oh, well, Tuesday's getting a little easier. Well, what, I, what day suits you? Thursday. So he's, Ronnie's a Thursday guy. So I go to the next guy. I say, you know, would you, oh, man, when are you having it? Oh, Thursday's no good for me. Well, what would suit you? Friday. Hold on, Ronnie. Could, could you make it to Friday instead of... Well, no, no, I can't. I'd quit being a pastor. <laughs> if I can't even get that sorted out, if I've got to do all that to get you to respond to the call of God that I sense is on your life, can you, are you listening to me? You say, Dudley, that would never happen. I'm telling you, it's happening all the time. Everywhere. who will step up, making themselves available. Secondly, who dream big. Want to grow in effectiveness, not just settle down in mediocrity. You want leaders that dream big, that want to grow, not just settle down. We're looking for people who fellowship with God and enjoy Him. It's pretty, you can pretty soon find out if a guy fellowships with God. Not by how many scriptures he can quote and outquote you. You don't have to be around them long and you know, this guy doesn't fellowship with God. Yes, he's a Christian, he's going to heaven. But he doesn't fellowship with God. People who are getting to know God's works, his word, his will, his wonders, his ways, etc., Getting to know them. They don't know them all. I don't know them all. I've been going on the road for 50-something years. But they're getting to know. We want people who are bold. Even if they're timid by nature, they're bold when it comes to truth. 
Because part of being bold is if you're not bold, you're going to have no expectation from God. We have to come boldly to the throne of grace. People who take the initiative, self-starters, not dragged along all the time. How many of you guys, if you're honest, that are visionaries, if you really were able to be honest, I have to say there's a couple of guys or a guy on my team that I, it, I, I'm getting tired of dragging him. It's just, it's just tough stuff. Man. Don't, please don't say yes. Because <laughs> some of your elders are sitting next to you and they're thinking, is it me? <laughs> and if they said, oh, you're talking about me, you'd have to, say, you'd have to lie and say no. <laughs> so you've got a double sin. But those who take the initiative, they're self-starters. That play their part. That motivate. You see, Proverbs 16.10 says this in the Message Bible, I think it is. A good leader motivates. A good leader motivates. We're looking for people who, when it's necessary, will confront We'll confront people. You know, people come to me, and it still happens. Have you heard this about the guy down the track, down the road there? I say, I haven't heard anything good or bad about him. Well, you know what? I say, well, wait a minute. Is this good? No. I say, bro, I've got enough trouble with the dirty washing that's running through this washing machine inside of me. Don't give me more dirty washing. Now, I'll tell you what, if you, need, you feel you honestly have to tell me, will you do me a favor? You go first, you go and tell that guy. When you can come back and tell me, and I'm going to phone him and ask him, did you? Now we, then, you then we're ready to talk. <coughs> this is not Corona, this is gasping for breath. A good leader motivates, confronts where necessary, and knows how to comfort and encourage, but not just confront, but encourage. Last session, you might not have picked it up, maybe you did. I, I, that's the first time in these, this is the third day, in these three days that I struggled in that first session. I don't know, I was just struggling. Guys say they didn't see it. But you know, when you struggle like that, sometimes just two guys came and did this and said, man, that was good, thanks, or something to that effect. Every one of us, from time to time, just needs a bit of encouragement, man. We've got to know how to encourage. There's times I've sat at, and I'm not able to mix them. When we, when we were in that, that new hall, that school, when I, when I was still struggling to stay there, I could see times when Darren needed a word of encouragement, and I couldn't go there. Because when you get up and you know you want to get out, he's got three people there, more than likely, I don't know, hopefully not true, but more than likely criticizing something wrong. You know, we should make a change here. Why did you preach that? I've seen he needs encouragement. I, there's times I need encouragement. Nobody picks it up. But it's so easy to walk past and say, thanks, man. 
Because even if they didn't do well, the fact that they preached the Word of God and stood there, that's enough to say thanks to. And when this guy can brings you a cold cup, cup of water that Jesus speaks about, if you just give a, just a cold glass of water, and as he comes in, and the water spills all over, thanks, bro, that you even thought of bringing me a cup. And mean it, not thanks, bro. Here's yours, bucket full. We all need encouragement, man. There's been a few times when we've been here, and I can't go and do this because we can't get to each other, and I don't want to speak loud. But I felt like I just want to get up and go and encourage a guy. Just feeling that that moment, something's hit him, or he's thought of something when his mind wandered away, that he's just needing a little bit of... just want to go and say, hey, bro, you're such a blessing to me, man. We all need it. And then we look people we're looking for, they're not, we're not looking for people who just want to be on the team, but they want to be in the team, actually doing something, not on it, in it, doing what is needed. All right, I'm going to... Say, I've just sprinkled a little bit of that stuff there, but I've got to move on. Just if I can just get a little bit more done here. So what's the main call of a leader? Any leader, visionary or alongside, part of the team. What are the, what are the things we should be doing? Well, everything that Jesus did is a simple answer. What's God doing in the church today? I, that's, that's part of how New Covenant started in a sense. I'd meet with some pastors some, from time to time, and I'd say, hey, bro, what, what is, what's, what's God doing in your life today? What do you feel he's trying to say or do in the church today? And guys are saying, that's amazing. I've never been asked that question before. Been in ministry for 10 years. Nobody's ever asked me that. You, you really want to know. They didn't say it quite like this, but you get this from them. You can see. They're saying, you really want to know. But what is God doing in the church today? Well, just exactly what he was doing when Jesus was walking this earth. So you want to know what God's doing in the church today? Just go and have a look at what Jesus did. What he said he came to do. I came to do. And I'm going to give you some of those. Actually, would you mind if I just come back to that? I'm just looking at this and I must just, what's the main call of it? Do what Jesus did and I'm hoping I can get back to what Jesus did, those 10 or 12 points. But anyway, this would include being an example in word, behavior, and leadership. That's what is the main call of a leader, being an example, what it means. By the way you talk, by the way you behave, you act, and the way, by the way you lead. When your people see you as a dictator, that's not your main call. That's not any part of your call. You're operating outside of your call. Hebrews 13, verse 7 and 17, obey your leaders, follow their example, etc., 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul says to young Timothy, 
be an example. And he talks about love and purity, everything. Even how when we don't have coronavirus, we don't have this one and a half meter thing. When this woman comes up to you, wants to give you a hug because she got blessed by what you preached. Be an example. What? Whoa, I'm, me, I just, I want to, you're going to hug, and I'm a hugger, but with women, side. Don't you press those things. No, seriously. I, I would, I'm worrying it's on, it's, it's, it's pretty, <clears throat> Being an example in word, behavior, leadership. What, is it, what are we talking about? What is the main call of a leader? To serve. You know, when Jesus, it seems to me, Jesus' definition of leadership was serve. Servant. Exact opposite to what we, by and large, are taught in the church. I'm now the leader. I no longer have to do. And you could take Luke 24, 25, and 26. Chapter 22, verses 24 to 26, sorry. Another part of what, what our main call of a leader is to make plain to everyone the administration of the ministry of Christ. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 21. 2 Timothy 2, 15. 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 8, etc. You can get that off the tape. The next one is to bring Christ's church to maturity. That's part of my main call as a leader. To see Christ's church mature. Another one is to bring Christ's church into freedom to worship God and God alone. It's an amazing thing to me that how many times God has to say that in, in the book of Exodus when he wants his people to come out of Israel, out of Egypt. He says, go to Pharaoh and say this to Pharaoh, let my people go that they may worship me. And I want to say to some, so often to some leaders, let God's people go that they may worship him, not you anymore. Bringing Christ's people into church into freedom to worship God alone. And freedom, to me, is one of the overarching factors of what it means to be a Christian, to be free. I used to love that, and I love the film too, but I used to love that song, Born Free, as free as. That's what, when you get born again, you're born to be free. The next one, helping God's flock, the people of God, to, to discover true security and identity, true security and identity. That means it's, they're going to have to find it in Him. That's where you find true security. A wife who wants all her security to be in her husband, or a husband who wants all his security to be in a wife, or a church that wants all their security to be in the leadership is in trouble, but there is a part each one of those has to play. And then when we to help God's people, the flock, to discover true security and identity, part of that is by being sacrificial, being available, letting them know 
how valuable and precious they are. You know, some of you are going to say, this has been a good time. I hope. I hope there's at least a couple of you. (laughs) But you know, I would feel like if you went home and didn't feel you were valuable to me, as well as God, I reckon part of, I've, I've become a, part of that is failure. Now, I only have two or three days with you. Your people are there with you regularly. They should know you really love them. And your love for them will help them to become more secure in God's love when they know you actually care. My husband has brutalized me. He chucked me out the house. He beat me up for years. And you guys treat me with such love, such care, such respect. God's able to start using that. Kids booted out of their homes, living in the streets, and they walk into the church. They should be so loved by the eldership. They should be by everyone. We're talking to leaders. What's part of our, our job? What should we be doing? That those kids should be able to say, man, I know I got messed up by my family or whatever. The, but you guys. And, and they start to feel secure again in God. But so often they, people come into our churches and they feel less secure, less loved starts the whole process all over again. By pointing people to Jesus, that, that's another part of what, we, we point people to Jesus alone. They need Christ. And while I'm talking about all these things that we have a part to play, we point them to Jesus alone. I hope, I don't know, you know I haven't pastored for years, but I remember in the 80s, the sign of a successful pastor was how long was your line on Monday morning after you preached on Sunday of people needing counsel outside your office door? Well, I only had three. I had 18. I had 100. Wow. And I say, biggest failure, failure, small failure. Are you there? Think about that. Of course we've got to be available to them. And there are sometimes times they need counsel. But we point them to Jesus. He's the only solution. He's the only one who will never let them down. I believe that if you're faithful with pointing people to Jesus alone, I'm telling you that God will add more people to your church. I don't care how bad a preacher you are. Another thing that is part of our main call as leaders is to feed the flock. Feed them. Actually give them spiritual food, not vomit. What do you mean by that, Dudley? Excuse us, please. If you go now and just take your notes and went and preached those notes and they haven't become part of you, it's like you going down and have a nice big fat steak and as it hits here, you, it hasn't been absorbed. You know what comes out when you open your mouth? And that's what's happening. People are feeding their sheep vomit. 
Now, please don't get offended by that. Jesus used the word. I'll vomit you out of my mouth. I'll spew you. It's in Revelation, the book of Revelation. You're neither hot nor cold. There was a time in the, in the, in the 70s, 60s or 70s where you used to be able to buy what they called a canned sermon. You subscribed, you sent in your X amount of dollars per month to somewhere in the States and they sent you this sermon for each Sunday. And then we drew, they wondered why the church wasn't growing. Those sermons were some of the best preachers preaching the best sermons imaginable and you just buy it and you just stand there and, and the church is shrinking. Our job is to feed fresh bread green grass, good milk for the babies with a dab of honey because his word is like honey. Another part, and this is quite a surprising thing I think for some guys that they've forgotten it. Part of my function, your function as leaders is to study God's word. Study. Now, while I know that's the word study to show thyself approved, a workman under God rightly dividing the word of truth, while that isn't sitting and reading and studying, it's speedily implement what you read, spaduza, there is with it Study. All scripture is God-breathed. Our job is to study the Word of God. If we're in leadership, that's as much a function as preaching. Acts 6, 2, 2 to 4, they called it. In Acts chapter 6, we now to give ourselves to the Word of God. 2 Timothy 2, 15, 3, chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. Here's another one now. Moving on quickly. What's another part of the leadership role? My main call? It's all part of one main call. It's all in it. It's not governing. Governing. Ruling. 1 Timothy 5, 17 says that the elders that rule well are worthy of double honor. Especially those that preach and teach. We're to rule well. God puts human beings in and he says, I give you my authority to help these people walk through, not dictatorship down here. Helping them through, correcting when need be, leading out, showing by example, etc., etc. Another part, Titus chapter 1, verse 9, is encouraging. I've touched it in some refuting dissidents, as King James, I think, or the New International says in Titus chapter 1, verse 9. Praying. Praying is a part of my job description, for lack of a better word. Praying with, praying alone, praying with the elders, praying with some of the Christians, praying in the prayer meeting. And I'll just throw this one out, and it's no use us arguing about this. I'll just throw it out for you anyway. I believe that there is a certain function of prayer in the role of healing that only elders have the right to. 
Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders. And let them anoint with oil and pray. And the prayer of the faith will heal the sick, etc. All believers can heal. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall, and one of them is healed. But when it's somebody that's sick in the church and they need the touch of God, they should, before they go to the doctor, call for the elders. And even if God has to use medicine afterwards, I just really want it because I don't want to crush anybody's faith. It starts at the place of prayer with the elders. And I reckon with all my heart I believe this. I've seen it through my own life in the, in the past that most of those that come and start there don't have to go to the hospital. Some do. Another part of it is what I've talked about the other day, to discover, helping God's people to discover, develop and demonstrate delight in a New Testament, kingdom of God, word of God, apostolic prophetic culture and lifestyle. Here's another one that's so important, is to plan, not like we said, we're talking about God's plan, plans and purposes, but God gives us where we have to sometimes think about, like some of you are now having to think about what are we going to do now that we can't meet in our hall? I'm talking about that type of planning, not man's plans. God wants us, he even gave the plans to David. But we need to be planning and strategizing. It's part of Christian leadership. So elders need together be planning into the future, things that God's laying into their hearts. And in order to do that, this is another part of the function of what I touched was praying. Elders need to be praying together, even about God's plans and God's strategies. I have found that most every strategy I've got from God in the, in, over the years has come from God. But it's almost every one of those has been complemented and built more into by talking to others with, on leadership with me about it. So if, if I just did what I got, we would we'd, we'd have some blessing. But when we did what we got, so much more. And then another part of it, and we really are running out of time now. It's, it's, my moment is just after quarter past, and we're stopping 12.30. Recognizing and releasing people into their calling and ministries. It's part of leadership, recognizing and, and, and then releasing them to their calling and ministries. Before Steve Barr left, there were two guys in this hall that, I, that have reminded me of some small part I played in helping them to find what God was wanting for their lives. Not telling them what God has, helping them. One is sitting there somewhere, Rudy, wherever you are, Rudy. And the other one was Steve Barr. And I'd forgotten all about the Steve Barr when Rudy reminded me on an occasion sometime before that. And you, Kenny. 
I've got, it's not you less important. I just have got a, a forgettery. You know that now. But there's more than that. I, really. That's part of our leadership is to help the guys, not to tell them what this is what God wants, but to help them to find. And these guys reminded me, I, I, I had forgotten, and as, as Steve was telling me, I, I began to remember. He said, I remember you saying to me, there's a little place down, little in Placerville, they're needing a pastor. Church that's starting to want to make some contact with us, and etc. Would you want to go and have a look? Go and have a look there. 20 years ago. And God has blessed those guys. And you know what? All I had was to say, would you want to go and have a look? That's all. You never, that's part of our call. And the same with Rudy. I remember he was here, he was in a high-powered job here. Really high-powered. Just saying to him, there's a church up, up, up in Mount Gambia, it's in trouble. I'd been going flying in there from time to time on these little Rex Airline type things. It's in trouble. Do you want to go and have a look? Well, the rest is history. How many years ago was that? 25, 25 years ago. It's part of our call. Now, I didn't say, Rudy, I'm your leader. You go. Do you want to go and have a look? You can see. Does it fit? Is it, see what God says. Are you on the lookout for that? As leaders, it's part of our job. Recognizing and releasing people into their cause and ministries. Then I think I've touched this, but I'll give it to you as a heading. Training up and releasing leaders. The 2 Timothy 2, 2 thing. And so to all of this, we need to devote ourselves wholly. W-H-O-L-L-Y. And so all of this could be summed up in discipling the nations. That's our call. And I want to ask you guys, and I think we're going to have to close you so that we can switch off, and if there's a question or two you might want to answer about, any, ask about, someone else maybe will answer it. But I want to just kind of finish off here and say this. The nations. When you hear the word discipling, is it one-on-one -on -one or is it nations? Because somehow there, the Great Commission's been shrunk to one-on-one. -on -one. And eventually we had a whole movement called the Discipleship Movement. And what the discipleship movement, the simple part of what related to what I'm talking about was simply this, that I disciple Ronnie, and Ronnie disciples, and he disciples, and he disciples, and he disciples, and he disciples, and so we've got this chain that runs from me of me, one of us, discipling someone. And so he says, wait a minute, I don't know if he gets down through the chain to him, and he says, I'm not too sure about that. Well, hold on, we go back through the chain. And I say, no, you can't do that. Back through the chain. Now, it's not quite as bad as that, but that's kind of where it's going to end up. And so everybody was accountable to some one guy. When God would actually say, go and make disciples of all nations, 
when we begin to see it's bigger than an individual, while every individual is included and important, but if the individual alone is the focus, we've missed it. Our call is the nations. And my heart has been, and I want to ask you, even though you're not the team leader of the NCMI group, every one of you, if you can have this heart in you, people would come to me, they'd come to say something we were doing in the early days of South Africa, when it was still, I don't know, 300, I don't know what it was, just early, we didn't have these big Bloemfontein times, when it was still much smaller. Some guy would hear from, from somewhere overseas or some other nation come in and they'd sit there and they'd come to me after and say, is there any chance of you coming and doing something like this where we live? And you know what my answer kind of was? Something like this. You find five people. Let them listen to some of this. Just find five people who say, oh, this just kind of rings true and we'll get somebody there permanently. Because my thinking is, you only need 10 people tithing. Because the word tithe isn't a spiritual term. It just simply means one-tenth. You know that, but I've got to remind you. And, and in case you've forgotten your maths, your maths, <laughs> 10 tenths makes one whole. So 10 tithes would tie this one-tenth of the average income of the church in a sense. Each guy gives a tenth. Ten of those, I can release a guy full-time and give him a salary. If you can find five, you find five and we'll come up with the five. The five-tenths. Now, I could have said we'll come and do it because we would have. But to go there and just spoon-feed people very seldom works for long. You just give, you come halfway with us and we'll get there. Now, would you dare to ask God to help you to be like that? The next time some guy says, man, are you guys around in our country, our city, our town, our village? No, we're not, but I'll tell you what. We'll do something. Have that heart. And I don't know, I wish Tyron was here and I've asked him never to come because it's not going to be helpful for him or me. I, I want to honor him at every level. On it, so I'm going to keep on him. He said, well, what do you want to honor? Because some of the things that people ask are not me anymore. It's him with the team. I'm trying to think, why did I bring Tyron in? I was going to say if Tyron were here, I would wish he was. What was I talking about? Just help me, please. The, the, I know, I, 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 what, I, what I want to say is this, you don't have to ask Tyron, can we do this, can we go to, he, if he's not saying yes, unless he knows of some reason, serious reason, that he may come and say, oh, I hear you going into this place, you know, there's just a little bit of a problem, I don't want to really go into it, but then maybe you take a little bit of counsel, but we never have to ask permission of one another. And I want to say that, now look, I'm, I'm stepping out and I'm making trouble for you unintentionally. For some of you, not all of you. Even if you're on an eldership team and they're saying, can you guys do something here? Tell them yes without going and asking the boss. 
And you may have to go back and say, hey, there were some things I didn't understand because then you go to the visionary and say, look, this is what's happening. But have a heart that says, I want to go. That's all I'm really, I'm spelling out things a little too strongly, but I'm trying to communicate. Have a heart that says, man, this is what we want to do. We want to disciple nations. I don't want my five guys that I've got to keep on discipling till the cows come home. Disciple nations. Ask God to help you to lift your vision. Nations. Now, I semi-want to withdraw that thing about if you're not the visionary, don't ask the visionary. I was trying to make a point of how we have to have this heart. It may be wiser. Because I don't want to release all sorts of rebels doing their own thing. And it doesn't mean that you say, yes, I'll come, and then you go and get 25 people from the church you're in and take them without. Just in, I'm trying to cover all the tracks. I've been around for a few years. I'm just really trying to say, get that heart. I'm asking you in Jesus' name, please. Ask God to give you that heart. God, I know I live in Durban. I know I live in Adelaide. I know I live in wherever you live. But God, give me a heart for more than that. And give me, whenever an opportunity comes, don't let me miss it. Even if I have to go back and say, we can't. And I hope you never have to go back because you've got wisdom enough. Well, I hope you forgive me, not from, for sin, but for where I've told you, I'm trying to get back to things that I haven't. I've tried to just cover as broad as I can some of the stuff. I have so, so wanted to get to the anointing and the Holy Spirit, etc., etc., and and the real things about leadership that I never got there. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. This is not none of this was not the real thing, but you're chewing, and that's meat. <laughs> <laughs> 